Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to Teach Me to Talk, the podcast. I'm Laura Mize, pediatric speech-language pathologist, and I'm so happy that you've joined me today. Let's get to some announcements. I know I've been talking about this for a month now, and I hope the people in West Virginia have appreciated that. They've told me they have, so (laughs) I'll do it again. But next Friday, a week from today, I'll be speaking at the West Virginia Speech and Hearing Association Annual Convention, and I'm thrilled about that. So that's one thing. Second announcement of the week Yesterday, I posted a brand new um, article on teachmetotalk.com about what to do when you feel like your child is not making any progress. And hey, this applies to therapists too, because you know, <laughs> sometimes as a mom, you get kind of concerned about that. And of course, your concern is going to be over the top because you're thinking about your baby, your child, and so you are super, super worried when that happens and you, you think, what am I going to do? This is not working. You kind of trust, you, you don't trust yourself. You kind of question your decisions that you've made. Are we with the right therapist? Uh, you know, are we getting the right amount of therapy? All of those things. And you just totally start to lose confidence that what you've decided and the decisions that you've made for your child are not not good. So advice in this article about, not about those specific things, guys, but about what to do when you feel like you're stuck or you're not moving along. And this is the point that I was that I was going to. That happens when you're a mom. And again, I'm not ever, ever, ever going to discount how we feel about our own children because, you know, even as a mom right now with children in, in their, who are all grown up in their 20s, <laughs> I still worry about those things. But here's my point about being a therapist. Sometimes we have 10 kids on our caseload at a time that we're thinking, what in the world am I going to do? Or or let's say you've worked for a while and things have been going great for a while, but all of a sudden you get like five new kids and all of them you feel like are just really complex children. And you think, I'm going to have to dig super deep (laughs) to make this work or Say you've had these kids on your caseload for a long time and you kind of feel like, man, I'm in over my head here. What should I do? The advice in the article that I've written today or, or posted yesterday, written this week, is exactly the advice that you need to read. So if you have not done that, get yourself over to teachmetotalk.com and read it. It's about taking a step back and looking at what comes before the goal that you're currently trying to work on. And so many times that phrase, I say it over and over again, back up, back up, back up. And if you've been to my course, Steps to Building Verbal Imitation Skills in Toddlers, or uh, Building Verbal Imitation Skills in Toddlers, some version of that course, (laughs) that's my overall message. Back up. You're working on something that is too hard, or else the child would be making progress. So go take a look at that article, give it some thought, apply it to whatever you need to apply it to. If you're a therapist, kids on your caseload, if you're a mom or a dad, we have dads who listen to this show too, but think about that concept. So I wanted to let you know about that. Third big announcement, I feel like I should have a little trumpet or something because I'm so excited about this, but Therapy Tip of the Week returns. Woohoo! I get emails almost every day, sometimes multiple, which 
always to me seems to be a sign from above with haven't done any therapy tip of the week videos in a long time. So that returns. I have uh, hopefully the first one of those. I'm videoing a bunch of those in the next few days, and, and the first of those will be out next week. So again, if you have, if you're listening to this anytime after today, today is April 8, 2016, and you haven't seen new therapy tip of the week videos, get yourself over to TeachMeToTalk.com because they're ready for you. And I'm really excited about those uh, shows too. All right, I might have had too much coffee today. Can you tell? <laughs> I'm really kind of fired up. So this is going to be uh, hopefully an upbeat show. With so if you're exercising, this is great for you. If you're driving, not so good. And a lot of you tell me that you listen to the show as you drive between appointments. Don't don't get ahead of yourself and get a ticket or anything like that. But I am uh, super excited about today's show. And again, that may be due to the amount of coffee that I've had already this morning. All right, let's pick up where we left off last week. You know, this is the series that I'm doing. We're currently on show nine in this series, talking about the 11 skills toddlers must use before words emerge. And last week, we're talking about developing early play skills. And we talked a lot about the how cognition is best measured through play and that there are three big cognitive milestones that we can see in a child. And again, those are best observed and best taught in the context of looking at developing early play skills. So if you haven't listened to that show, go back and listen to show number 282 because it's the preview or the prerequisite information for today's show. So when I finished the show last week, I kind of I finished up by saying really, really fast <laughs> some things about developing functional object use, and I felt like, okay, well, that was enough on that. Let's not revisit it. And then <sighs> Friday afternoon, after I'd done the show on Friday morning, I just started thinking about it more. And then by Saturday, I was thinking about it more. And then, oh, gosh, by Monday or Tuesday, I knew that we had to revisit this topic because early play is so, so, so important. Actually, I could probably spend a year talking about early play on the podcast. We are not going to do that. <laughs> but I am taking another show to talk to you about that. what I said in that last couple of minutes about developing functional object use. And more importantly, I want to really talk about the nuts and bolts of exactly how we teach a kid who isn't playing with toys, who doesn't seem interested in toys, who has no idea of what to do with toys, how, exactly how do we bridge that gap? Because this, is, this isn't true for every kid on your caseload, thankfully. Most of the children that we see, even in early intervention, even when we specialize in children with with developmental delay significant enough to be identified before they are three. Even if we, we see that's our whole entire caseload, thankfully most of the children, <coughs> excuse me, even on our caseloads will be playing with some toys. So again, this isn't necessary for every single kid on your caseload. But let me tell you, when you need this information, you need it. <laughs> because nothing is more frustrating than, as a speech pathologist, sitting through a session and thinking, okay, our, our long-term goal here is words and it's talking, but we are so far away from that. This child has no real foundation 
for learning to talk, and I have got to back up, back up, back up, <laughs> so much so that I'm even back to kind of looking at how he uses his little exploratory skills to learn about the world. And remember last week we talked about how children have to learn kind of at a concrete level first or a nonverbal level first. And to get that, that um, foundation laid so that we can move forward and we can help them become symbolic and we can help them become more abstract. And so when we have a child who really is not interacting very much with the world at all, meaning that he's not communicating very well with his parents or, or he's sending messages and his, all, the, the burden of communication is solely left to his parents to interpret what he wants. So I'm not saying that children don't communicate because they communicate from day one. You know, a big cry is communication, right? So we're not going to get caught up in that. I mean talking. I mean using words to convey a message, all right? And so when kids can't get there unless they've mastered the skills that we're talking about in this podcast series, and guys, sometimes people really don't correlate play and how a child uses objects in his environment. They don't relate that to talking at all. And, and there, there's such a strong correlation there. The big thing is children who don't play miss out on tons of opportunities for learning language, tons of opportunities for strengthening their cognitive skills. So we have to teach them how to play when that isn't coming naturally. And again, go back and listen to show 282 or last week's show if you haven't done it yet because we're talking about those cognitive milestones and, again, why it's important. Today, let's move forward and just talk about how do we do this. We know it's important. We know we want to do it. We know we should do it. But how? How do we get there when a kid doesn't seem to like toys, when he doesn't seem to enjoy or naturally pick up a toy? What do you do with it? And, again, this isn't for every kid, but for the kids that it is for, this information will help you tremendously. And, again, let me, let me revisit one more point from last week's show, and I know I've said it over and over again, but so many times we look at a kid and we think, oh, he doesn't like that toy, when the real reason is that he doesn't know how to play. And so we've got to back up to that point and really teach him how to do it. And so in order for, for him to learn how to do it, you've got to know how to teach it. So that's what this show is about. We're talking about a really specific things that we can do to help a toddler with developmental delays begin to play with toys. And again, this first strategy that we're going to talk about is called deconstruction. Now, when I first talk about this sometimes with parents and even with therapists, it seems a little counterintuitive because... <laughs> Deconstruction in and of itself, well, let's just take that word. What does deconstruction mean? It means taking things apart, pulling it apart, not, not playing or using the toy or the object in the way it's intended, but, but starting at the end when we're finished with it, taking, taking uh, or not uh, just, just finishing that's, that's kind of what we're talking about, what we would do at the end. So a lot of times when I talk about this with parents, can kind of see them saying to themselves, well, why would she want him to do that? Or that's not playing with a toy. I want him to learn how to play, not to take the darn thing apart. But here's the truth. We have to 
start with what a kid can do, what a kid will do, all right? And so deconstruction comes pretty naturally (laughs) to toddlers, doesn't it? They're good at tearing things up, right? They're good at taking things apart. And so, again, that kind of player, that kind of urge or what their their natural tendencies to, to deconstruct, we might have actually prevented some of that in the past. We might have discouraged it because we're saying, no, that's not what you, you play. That's not how you play with this. Let's think about a really, really, really common example. Let's use blocks. So what did we want a toddler to do with blocks? And if you're sitting in your car, I hope you're saying out loud, stack. Or if you're at home doing laundry or dishes or cleaning your basement or whatever you do while you listen to this podcast, you might say something like, build. We want him to build with blocks. But that's not really what a toddler likes to do first. What does he like to do? He likes to knock the tower down after you have built the tower, right? It's what they love to do most. That's deconstruction, right? But what keeps them wanting to come back and play with those blocks at the very beginning over and over and over again? It could be that that they have matured to the point where they're, they kind of get that whole little, I have to do this first. If I stack the blocks, then I can knock them down. Or they may uh, they may happily allow you to build a tower of seven or eight blocks. But let me tell you what happens with most toddlers. You build it up to two or three blocks, and, boy, they are in there wanting to knock it down. That's their natural inclination. And, again, sometimes we don't start here with play because we think about that. That's the end step. That's what we want to come last or if we're telling the truth, not at all. I mean, how many times, if you're a therapist, let's just be honest, you are kind of gritting your teeth when that kid is trying to knock over the blocks. And <laughs> you're saying, wait, 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 let me get it built first, right? Or you get kind of mad when they just stack a couple and then want to knock it down. Now, you may be a lot more mature than the rest of us, and you've never had that thought, you know. <laughs> you're just thinking, no, of course I'm, I know that's the most fun part, Laura. Why would I try to prevent that? But if most of us who are honest would say, no, we do not like that knocking down. We want him to build and stack. But let me just tell you, that part, that deconstruction part, that has to come first. And it does come first. And it comes first with typically developing kids too. But here's the thing. Our kids with developmental delays can kind of hold on to a phase and stay in a phase a lot longer than children who don't have those developmental challenges. And so, you know, you really may be working with a 33-month-old who just lives to knock down the the tower of blocks, and and that's just where he is. And you're thinking in your mind, that's a 12 to 15 month thing. Why isn't he beyond that? Just not. He's just not. That's where he is developmentally. So we have to meet him where he is, so that we can get beyond that. And here's the thing: you can't just do this for two minutes and say, okay, that's just that's enough deconstruction. Let's move on to the next phase here. That's not really how it works. And so. What we're talking about today is to take this concept of deconstruction, figure out how we can use it, how we can let this be our entryway into teaching a child how to play, and not just with one toy, guys, but several toys. Because here's the good news. We can use this and apply this concept to lots and lots and lots of early toys. And we're going to talk about several of the most common and familiar toys today. For, uh, so that you're going to be able to take this 
information and put it into practice right now. Hopefully for some of you, you're driving to a kid's house and this is exactly what you need and you think, oh, yes, please tell me how to do it because I'm about to be there in 10 minutes, right? <laughs> or you're a mom and you're thinking, oh, I needed some new ideas. Maybe this one will work. Here's, I want to walk you through this whole process. And remember, our overall purpose here is not to begin teaching how to kid, a kid how to use the toy correctly. We are not there yet. That's going to come later. Our purpose here in this kind of play is to let a child take the toy apart. So talk about some really, really common toys. We talked about blocks. Let's look at something else. Let's Let's talk about a ring stacker. Do you know what I'm talking about? They can be plastic. We, I remember that when I was little. I remember, I don't remember playing with it as a baby, but I certainly remember it being in the, the preschool, the little kindergarten where I attended, and in the church nursery. You know, some of my earliest memories are being in the, you know, three-year-old little class with my brother who's 11 months younger than me and they always put us in the same class because we were petrified when we were apart um, but I remember those that kind of toy I mean it's a classic a ring stacker has been there forever so let's talk about that we have some children on our caseloads again who fly through this but that's old stuff they've been doing that since they were you know, between that 9 and 12 month development level but we also have some 18 month olds and 24 month olds and 36 month olds who have not mastered this kind of really, really early play. Where do we start? You know, we've all, if you're a mom, you've probably tried to get your child to put the rings on the peg. <laughs> or a therapist, you've thought, I cannot believe that, you know, we're, we're having so much trouble with this. It's a really, 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 really early skill. You might have called an OT and said, how can I do this? Must be something fine motor. Sometimes it's really not the fine motor piece, guys. Now, for some kids it is, kids with cerebral palsy, kids with Down syndrome, kids with other kinds of muscle tone issue, those kinds of kids, again, that's a motor problem, and you are going to have to work on this from a motor perspective. But for some kids, our little friends with autism, our little friends with general developmental delay who have some cognitive holes, our little kids who have sensory processing issues who are busy, our busy, busy, busy little friends may, um, may have some difficulty in this area, again, because they don't settle down enough to have learned and mastered these kinds of skills. So these are the kinds of kids that we're really, really talking about. So remember with this process of deconstruction with a ring stacker, instead of putting the rings on, what are you going to have the child do? You're going to have him take the rings off. Now, for some kids, it's easy just to show them how to do it, and they get it, and they like it, and you think, whew, that was easy. That was a lot easier than I thought. And then you can kind of, you know, do that three or four times in a row, and then you put a ring on and see if they'll put a ring on too. For some kids, that will work, and again, you're going to think, oh, my gosh, this is genius. Why didn't I think of this? This is such a simple thing. Why didn't I start here? And it is a little, after you start using this strategy with the children who need it, you will say to yourself, man, this is, I really can't believe I didn't know this. Pretty much common sense, right? But sometimes, <laughs> boy, sometimes we can get in the way of things and make it so much harder than it has to be, Right. So for some kids, that's all it's going to take, three or four times of you letting them take it off, and then you start to assemble 
and they're going to follow your lead on that and, and know how to do it and be proficient. And then they practice, 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 and get some mastery. And again, that's not just with fine motor, but also with their cognitive skills and their play skills are developing. And that is fantastic. For some kids, you're going to have to stay at this, this kind of stage with each of these toys that we're kind of talking about today or every toy. You might have to stay at this deconstruction phase a little bit longer. So let's talk about what to do with those kids. You're going to have to show them how to take the ring off. And for a lot of kids, let me say, the best thing that you might do for them is to give them kind of an end result. And what do I mean by that? Give them something to do with the ring. So, or and the other thing you're doing is you're adding more structure to this task, and boy, do some of our kids need that. And we talk a lot about following a child's lead and not really being too dictatorial in play, and I get that, and I certainly support that kind of approach. But for some children, and again, this would probably include children who do not seem to like toys because the underlying reason is they don't understand what to do with toys, you are going to have to be a little more hands-on, and you are going to have to do some things to set up those play situations because here's the truth. If they didn't need that, their play would be a lot further along. It would. There would be really be no reason for you to be addressing play. So don't get caught up in the whole, oh, that's too direct. That's, I'm interfering. I'm stopping the natural processes of learning. Don't do that, okay? There's a place for that, but here is not the place. And again, let me repeat myself. If a child could have learned these play skills on his own, he would have. There would be no reason for you to do it. So you do have to back up to this point. And so providing structure here can be so, uh, it can be what's missing. It can be that one piece that helps a child make, go on and make gains and good progress in his play skills. So add yourself a little structure. What do I mean by that? Put a container there for the child to place the rings in. Now, we talked about last week in the show what a powerful urge babies and toddlers, children have in this developmental period. And, again, it doesn't matter if they are going through this phase when they are 9 to 12 months old as a typically developing child would be or if they are 21 months old and in this developmental phase. You know, it, it's kind of it is what it is. So we use strategies regardless of the age because we're looking at developmental, um, their developmental functioning here, not their chronological. So if you have a kid who's two and a half who's not playing with toys that you've, you've, you're thinking, I don't know if I should back up this far, try it, try it. I have a little guy on my caseload that I've worked with. I've talked about him over the last several shows. I've worked with him continuously since last July, and he, he turned, he's turning four now. Um, just turned four, and we really had to back up to this place because, again, he was not interested in toys, uh, didn't didn't seem to like toys, didn't play with very many things. When he did play, it was perseverative, and for if that's a new word for you, that just means he repeated the same things over and over and over again. He likes he liked to spin toys, he liked to push buttons, those kinds of things. Those were his big. Things. And so to try to get him to stack rings on a ring stacker or to play with a puzzle or to um, – he liked stacking. He's pretty good with blocks and that kind of thing because he did like to knock them down. But, but my point is you may have a four-year-old that this is entirely appropriate for you to back up to this point with, all right? And so let's talk about the structure again. 
that putting a bowl or a container or my favorite thing is a wipe box. And I like the Huggies brand of wipe boxes because you can open the top, just that regular kind of that the wipes actually are dispensed from kind of in the middle. And that little part there is is semi-closed until you push your hand in or the wipe out or whatever. So to push a toy in there, there's a little bit of resistance. And kids think of like that. That's kind of like, you know, a little woohoo for them, a little thing for them to master. So I love using a white box like that. And what I'm talking about, how you put this together is a kid would take the ring off and then put it in the box. And so can you see how combining that deconstruction piece plus the stuff that we talked about, the natural appeal of that in and out for a container, you merge that for a lot of kids and it makes that task a lot more palatable. <laughs> They'll do it now. You've given them something they understand. There's a beginning and an end. You know, you want them to get five rings off and put one in. And let me just say at the beginning, if he's not really into it that much, you take a ring off and, and put it in the box or the bowl or whatever you're using and show him how to do it. And then you do another one and show him how to do it. And if he's still not with you, take his little hand and help him do it. For some kids with this, and I don't know if I talked about this on last week's show, but it's certainly something that bears repeating. Some children do not know that they like an activity until they've had a little help doing it. <laughs> Several times in a row. I mean, have you done that in your own life? You don't really know that you like something. You think, oh, I don't like that. But then somehow you have to do it or you're just, you just for whatever reason, you're exposed to it. Let's say a kind of movie or sports. Let's take a sports event. Now, I love sports, so this doesn't apply to me. Some women just detest, or they think they do, watching a ball game or going to some kind of ball game or sports event with their husband, but then they get there and they they kind of start to like it after a little bit. They warm up to it. Have you, ever, have you had that experience? Is there something you can think about, maybe a hobby that your husband had or has, and that you thought, I am never going to like this, but I want to be with him and I'm just going to go and see what happens, and you like it. Or something with your kids that you start doing with your own children when they're a little bit older and you think, I do not think I like this, but I do. That's kind of what I think our little friends go through, okay? So we have to help them do the activity for a little bit before they realize, hey, I can do this. I'm kind of good at this, and this is fun. Now, the little guy that I was just talking to you about, and I think I said this a couple of weeks ago, we've been doing a lot of these activities, kind of structured teaching activities, this simple homemade stuff that we're talking about today, this deconstruction piece. We had a really almost, and let me say this in quotes, forced, and don't freak out when I'm saying forced here, but, there, you know, there was some... We had to help him. <laughs> There's some physical contact with, you know, hand over hand here. And we had to make that happen for not just a couple of weeks, guys, to treat this for months. And now he is so proud of himself when he does these little things. And, of course, he's bumped up and he's doing harder things than play now. But he will just look at his mom now, and he gets a little smirk on his face like, hmm, did you see that? And his mom and I just love it because he has kind of been a kid who's, you know, he's happy and smiles. I'm not saying that. But now that's really directed toward his mom like, wow, did you see that? And it's so exciting for us. And so my point here is he didn't know he liked these things. He didn't know he was good at these things until we gave him enough exposure and experience and practice 
so that he could get some mastery. So that's what we want to do here. We want to set up enough structure, give a kid enough exposure, give a kid enough practice. And listen, just talk to moms if you're a therapist or if you're a mom yourself. Hey, these first few times you do this with a kid who's not happily played with toys, it, it may not be the most fun experience for you or the kid. And I'm not saying do it to the point where he's in an all-out fit. Don't do that. But a teeny bit of him trying to kind of resist a little bit or pull away, just go on with it. Make your voice sound happy. Make, you know, don't start feeling like you're in a power struggle. The second you feel like that, ugh, you've kind of lost, okay? Don't do that. But just be pleasantly persistent. I say that word throughout my book, Teach Me to Talk, the therapy manual, that pleasant persistence on our part of even though this doesn't feel 100% lovely, <laughs> I'm going to do it anyway because I know that he needs some extra practice here, all right? So how we get this kind of thing going with some hand-over-hand -hand assistance and, um, you know, kind of making that happen with this deconstruction process. All right, another thing that I want to talk to you about is, and I said it a little bit, but let me reemphasize it. For some kids, well, for every kid who's at this stage, you just want, do not want to over-talk here. You do not want to be chatty-patty because what's driving them away may not be the intricacy of learning how to do the new motor piece of play. It might be you. You might be Sorry about that little hiccup. I don't know what happened. Got disconnected, but we're right back. And I hope this is pretty seamless as you're listening. I hope that you've stuck in there and listened. All right, what was I saying? Um, don't over-talk when you're working with a kid on this deconstruction process because you could overstimulate him with too much talking. And remember what we said last week and the week before? <laughs> Some kids can't do and motor activity like this, a cognitive activity, a play activity, and listen to you at the same time. Remember how we talked about on the joint attention show, some kids can't hear your words and make eye contact. It's just too overwhelming for their little system. They become overstimulated. And when a child is overstimulated, what does he do? It's that fight, flight, or freeze, right? He's either going to fight you, so he's going to smack you in the face to try to get you to shut up, or he's going to the flight part, what's that? He's going to run away or freeze. He's just going to stand there and do nothing, okay? So be sure when you're talking during this kind of task that you limit it to words that he really, really needs to hear. Or for some kids, you do very little talking at all so that they can concentrate on the task. Now, again, for some of you language folks like me, you're thinking, well, of course I'm going to talk to him. That's what speech therapy is, right, Laura? Yes, but we've got to get him to the point where he can do the activity and then the language will become meaningful. It's not meaningful at the beginning. And you do want to help him make connections with words. But, guys, he's got to learn how to do the physical part first. He's got to learn how to do the mechanics. I hope it does. It makes a lot of sense to me. And I tell you, sometimes when I do feel a kid becoming overstimulated and overwhelmed, the very first thing I do is try to talk less. And you can still stay right there and stay involved in the activity by making your face excited to be there and pleasant. If you've been so on him, you might, you know, with your kind of heavy-handed physical assistance, you might back off that a little bit. But a lot of times, if we'll just really simplify our language, things get a lot, a lot better and go a lot more smoothly. All right, so let's 
uh, move on to, uh, well, let me give you some examples. So like in this ring stacking activity, I would just say something like, you know, for a kid who's really overstimulated, just say something like, off. Let's take it off. Off. And again, you might lower your volume a little bit. You know, you're going to go in there a little softer if you are uh, have a kid who's, tends to be overstimulated and overwhelmed. Now, if you have a kid who's regularly low arousal or who, you know, it takes a lot to get them to notice something and stay with something, you might be a little bit more animated during this. And, again, my point is you don't know what works with a particular child until you've seen that child and until you've analyzed his regulatory level and how he how his participation is you know if it's a grump if it's a kid who's usually pretty happy and he's having an off day certainly want to modify your level of physical assistance or your level of uh, talking so that you don't bombard him with too much language so again just a little point right there and the, the same strategy is not going to work for every kid you really really have to know you have to know that kid. You have to know the strengths and weaknesses, what sets them off, what makes them want to participate, all those things. And it's kind of like a dance. But that's what makes this job so fun is figuring that out about uh, individual children. All right, so we've done that with the ring set. You're familiar with deconstruction now. You know that that really means you're going to let a kid what? Take it apart. So let's talk about another common toy. I wish I could quiz you right now. <laughs> I wish that I... I wish that I were with you right there so I could say, okay, how can we use deconstruction with a puzzle? So what are you thinking? Usually what do we do with a puzzle? We get a kid to do what? Put the pieces in. And how many times as a therapist or as a mom or a dad have you fought a kid who did not want to do a puzzle and you were thinking, you are going to put the piece in right now? Don't do that with those kids. They're telling you, I'm not ready for this yet. So you let them take the piece out and again use your you know, put your structure in place you might have your same little box or whatever you're using there to kind of be the end result for the child to put the in the box oh let me say if you're kind of making if you if you're a little bit crafty and you want to make something specifically for this purpose a cardboard box that you have taped the, the top or one that has kind of a solid lid you can cut a slit that's big enough for toys to go in and that putting the toy in and then letting it disappear and not being able to see it oh that's magic for some kids so in uh look for the therapy tip of the week about deconstruction that i'm doing next week that you'll see next week and you'll see an example of that kind of box because it works it works it works and i use it all the time with puzzles all right so our point here is we're going to let the kid take the puzzle pieces out now if the kid is tolerating it of course you're going to layer your language strategies here you're labeling the piece you're saying dog or you know fire truck or naming the piece or whatever it is or you're you know let's let's use some sound effects here so we might say oh you know it's a doggy <laughs> You know, we're teaching that. We're using this opportunity for teaching if the kid can handle it. You know, and it may be for Drew, for some, the little guy that I've been talking about for, you know, we went a long time without doing very much language at all because he really needed to learn how to do the activity and stick with the activity. And when we started talking, it drove him away. So now he's able to handle all that, and his mom is doing a fabulous job with all of the language strategies, but we couldn't start with that. We couldn't. 
we had to back way up to the play piece, all right? So here for puzzles, again, you're going to do the same kind of thing. We'll talk about in a second kind of how to, the next little strategy, how to know when you can start putting them back in. But my, my answer here is you'll just know. You'll know that a kid's kind of ready for it, that he's, he's doing it, he's taking the pieces out pretty fast, and it's not hard for him anymore. And it's kind of, you're starting to see that he's sort of sticking with it, and he's almost enjoying it even. So, again, you'll kind of know when he's ready to move on. But for some kids, know that you just may be taking puzzle pieces out for several weeks in a row. He, he may not be ready to put them back in yet. And that's okay. That, that's just where he is. Our point here is to take the pressure off so that a child can learn how to play. All right? And I hope that makes sense to you. Uh, let me mention one more thing about the container. I, if you've seen any of my DVDs, Teach Me to Talk, Teach Me to Listen and Obey 1 and 2, or Teach Me to Talk with Apraxia and Phonological Disorders, or if you've been to any of my live conferences and see therapy clips, you know I am the Ziploc queen. I put nearly all of my toys in Ziplocs and have some pretty standard routines where we clean up a toy, you know, at the end and zip it up. And when we're getting a toy out, you know, we do we sign or say open and unzip it. So nice, nice little routine that we get to practice a lot in sessions because the toys are there. And a lot of the moms that I see have adapted that because they've watched the DVDs before I've even met. So they kind of have thought, hey, this is a cool idea and this works. You could do the same thing when we were talking about containers a minute ago, the white box that I like or a bowl or a box. Do it with your Ziplocs or little bags. If you have toys in little bags, let that be where the kid puts the puzzle pieces. And that way you're still kind of involved in it because you're holding the bag there and they still sort of have a reason to look at you and include you. So just wanted to put that in there. Um, and, again, you've probably seen me, if you've watched any of my DVDs or therapy clips, you've, you've seen me use those. All right, so let's look at toys. Let's keep going here and look at toys that may be appropriate for even a slightly older toddler. And again, remember what our strategy here is. What is it? It's deconstruction. So let's talk about potato heads. So how do we, what do we do with the potato head? Now remember, we're not putting the pieces in the potato head. What are we going to do? We're going to let the kid take the pieces out. We're presenting the completed potato head. And his job, his only job, at this stage, is to pull those pieces off and, again, put them wherever you're putting them. Now, let me just say, and I said it at the beginning of the show, but I'm going to repeat it again. I don't play with every kid like this. If a child is ready to begin to play, if, if let's say you're taking these pieces out of the potato head and he gets a few out, and then he starts putting them back in, don't stop him. <laughs> <laughs> don't say, oh, no, we're still at the deconstruction phase. You're not allowed to do that. Heavens no. He's telling you, hey, I'm ready. <laughs> I get it now. I can take it out, and now I can put it back in, all right? So follow. that's what follow his lead really means. Look at what he's doing and stay there. Go with that. Don't try to redirect him, all right? So if he starts putting them back in, by all means, let him do that. All right, but here's the thing, and here's the reason the kids that deconstruction really, really works for are children who don't seem that interested in toys or kids who do other unwanted things with toys. So think kids that are mouthing toys or throwing toys or just visually or, or, you know, just touching them, that tactile and visual exploration. They're just looking at it, rubbing it. Those are the kids. That's when you know this strategy is totally, totally appropriate. And I do this, again, even with books. There's um, a therapy tip of the week that I did a couple years ago 
about books and how to modify books so that you are copying the color copying the page and cutting out the picture and you laminate it and then you velcro the picture on right where it should go on the page and so when we're using deconstruction with a book you let the kid reach down pull the picture off and then put it wherever you're putting it in a box in a bag whatever you're doing there but that's that's another another toy that you can modify pretty easily and again you may have a kid who loves playing with toys and who's gotten some pretty nice play skills but he hates books and that's why you can use this deconstruction strategy with any almost any new toy that you're introducing when it's novel and when a kid doesn't seem to have interest in it think about that so that's even a way that we would use use this as a beginning place for books for kids who don't like that who don't understand it who don't see the point of sitting there while you show them pictures and read and do all the wonderful stuff that we know we want to do so i wanted to mention that and i will link that therapy tip of the week um on the post about this podcast at teachmetotalk.com, and you can find that if you go to teachmetotalk.com. Look at that category bar across the top. Click on the one that says podcast, and it will take you to a separate page, and you can for the show. And most of the time, <laughs> the links are there so that if there's any related material that you can you can look at it. And certainly, if you haven't seen how to modify books, I want you to go back and watch that therapy tip of the week because it's fabulous. And again. This is a strategy that I get tons of email about, even from therapists that say, hey, I, didn't, I did not know to do that. that was a, that's a fantastic idea. I did it, and it's made all the difference in the world. So it takes a little bit of planning to do it, um, but it's certainly a, a tip that will pay off. And, hey, I've had lots of moms begin to kind of own the strategy themselves, and they make the books. They, you know, buy their 30 bus laminator or go somewhere and get their little pictures laminated, and then they take ownership of that strategy, and it's a great activity for them to do with a child. And even after a kid is more advanced and certainly can tolerate sitting and listening and learning language in, in that more traditional way, it's still going to be a ton of fun for him to, um, after he's mastered pulling the pictures off, a lot of kids like to match the pictures, and so it's kind of like a puzzle. You'll flip to the page in the book, and they'll scan their little pictures and get the picture that matches, and then they'll throw that sucker right on that page. So super, super activity for a long time. All right, so let's talk about what comes next. That deconstruction, I hope I've given you enough examples that you're able to take that strategy and, and own it and use it. But let's talk about what comes next. And I mentioned this a second ago when we were talking about um, the ring stacker, what you really want to do after you've had a kid stay at that deconstruction level for a while, then your requirement, your next step is that he just completes one action, easy action, okay? And let's think about it. We've kind of done this with uh, through deconstruction. Our one action with puzzles was what? Take the pieces out. Our one action with the ring stacker was what? Take the rings off, right? So now let's think about one more action that a kid could do with a toy. And remember, don't try to get him to do the next five things, just one. And for some of the kids, we're going to have to repeat the same action over and over and over and over and over before we add anything new. And when a kid has really liked the deconstruction phase, when he's kind of needed to stay here for several weeks or months maybe, I mean, that's reality. You know that when you start teaching him the next thing to do, he's going to have to stay there too. And, the, and again, try not to think about, oh, this is not moving fast enough. I'm so frustrated. 
why can't this be quicker? It just can't. It just can't, or it would have been. So try not to get too upset or frustrated. Just celebrate the successes with, gosh, he's mastering this, this kind of play, him taking these puzzle pieces out. That's a heck of a lot better than him throwing them across the room. Taking these, taking this toy apart, you know, I stack up the Legos and he takes them off. That's a lot more than putting them in his mouth and trying to eat them. At least he's trying to use them. All right, so try to keep yourself positive with this will come. This progress will happen. I've just got to go with it long enough to see some results. All right, so that's this next thing, this next step beyond deconstruction was called. We're just going to, I think about it as one complete one thing, do one more thing, all right? So let's talk about some examples for this. All right, let's say, and let's bump it up a little bit. Let's talk about things that aren't as easy as the ring stacker or blocks. Um, well, let me go back to one other toy, like a pop and pal toy or anything like that where the, kid, the, the point of the toy is cause and effect. I'm going to push the button and see what happens. Sometimes we'll have kids who, you know, aren't who will do that, and then that's all they they don't even really pay attention to the effect. I think we talked about that a little bit last week. If you can, if there's if the toy lends itself to this, let that next action really be closing the the door that's opened or whatever has happened. Come up with some way for that to for that next little step to be how it ends. So if you've had something like a Poppin' Pals toy, and he certainly has learned, you know, I push that one little button and it pops up, teach him how to close it. Let that next little step be, you know, and again, we're thinking, Laura, you know, you may be thinking he didn't enjoy it, he didn't pay attention, he didn't, that will come, you're, but you're, you've got to teach that next little step, all right? So teach him how to close those little doors back. I have a cute little toy called uh, Frog in the Box. I think I've done a therapy tip of the week about that a couple years ago. For some kids, you know, we naturally think, I want him to put the toy in the box and then close it. And for this little toy, it's so cute. It's kind of a cylinder-shaped toy, and it has a top, and you, um, the toy pops out the top when you're playing with it. For some kids, they putting things in, of course, it's a natural thing that a lot of kids like to do, but my next little action, or if they won't put it in, if they don't get that, their job is to close the lid. And they like that, and they get that, and that's fun for them. And, guys, it's easy. It's easy. So that's the next little step that we would go to. Think about uh, when you're trying to get a kid, again, to bump up a little bit to, say, play with a barn or play with a house. Or if you have a kid who loves Thomas, he's just obsessed with Thomas, and you have gotten him to, you've gotten a little station that goes with Thomas, but he doesn't seem to notice that, and you're thinking, what in the world am I going to do? All he still wants to do is roll the toy, roll the train, you know, for, for that kid to get him interested in the station, my thing might be I open the door and he has to close the door. Or if they're on my little station, I have there's like maybe five or six doors on there. I open all those doors and his job is to come back through and close the doors. And we may not have thought about that as a play skill. You know, you're thinking about he has to drive the train, open the door to the station, put the train in the station, close the door. You know, yes, we want to do that eventually, but, guys, some kids can't sequence that much yet. We have to start simpler with this, this concept of just one action. And for that kid, closing the doors would be something he could do. And, again, you're not just going to go from, you know, close one door and then that's it and we immediately move on. 
you know, he may have to, you may have to open and close those doors, you know, 10 times, all five of those doors 10 times to give him enough practice. And, and here's the truth. That may become so fun for him that even after you've moved on to some new things, and you will get to move on eventually, but that that stays part of your play routine. He likes it. And, again, that's what we're doing. We're enticing children. We're, we're teaching them how to play by making them like it and showing them that it's fun. So doing something like that, that one simple object, action is really, really powerful. Let's take another example like with the Thomas set that we just talked about. Let's say that he's closing the doors and now you're, you know, and he sort of will push Thomas on the tracks, but you really don't get much beyond that. Or let's say he loves pushing Thomas on the tracks because he likes watching the wheel spin and he's down on his belly with his eyes, you know, an inch from the wheel watching that. What could you do? Think about the power of deconstruction for that kind of kid after he's done that, you know, and you think, well, we're, he's closed the door. I've done some other things. He can't repeat those actions. He's not going to be able to move on. What would be something that you would try? Remember the power of deconstruction. Let him help you take those tracks apart and put it away. Now, cleaning up <laughs> is, for some kids, the second step in the whole, you know, first I do a lot of deconstruction, and then for whatever reason, we can't get that one action going yet. For me, one action appropriately with a toy, with the assemble it or play with it in the way it's intended. For some kids, I just think, okay, we've deconstructed now. He's just going to have my next best thing is help, him helping me clean it up. And, again, we've talked about the container lends itself to that, so you've sort of already done that for a lot of toys. But if you haven't, again, something like a train track, you may not have thought, oh, I should get him to help me clean that up. You may have just moved on to something else. Deconstruct the train track. Pull those apart and let him put it in a bag or put it in a box or even throw it in the toy box. Whatever mom, you know, whatever you as a mom are doing, how you store that toy, put it on the shelf, whatever that is. That's your next step. That's your one more act. Think about it in that way. Let's talk about another couple of familiar toys in the time we have left. Let's say a ball and hammer toy. Let's say you have you you are so frustrated with teaching your kid how to use the ball and hammer toy that you want to use the hammer on yourself as a weapon because you're so upset. For kids, it's too hard. Tool use is just too hard. You know, you've shown them over and over. You've grabbed their little hands. You've tried to make them do it. They can't do it. For those kids, back it up. Your one action is just going to be, okay, you can't do that yet. I'm just going to be happy with him putting the ball in the hole. I'm just going to hand him the ball and get it in the hole. And more often than not, when we back off like that, then the kids start pushing the ball through the hole. And what happened? You've got two actions. And then what happens then? You, lo and behold, they look down and get the ball as it comes out the door and put it back up in the hole again. Three actions there. You know, if they've grabbed it when it's come out instead of you giving it to them in your hand. Do you see how that's three separate actions? So, again, sometimes when we back up enough and we lower our expectations enough and we think I'm just going to get one more new action. He doesn't have to do this whole five-step sequence in this play routine. We're just going to get one more thing. Then it evolves naturally, and you didn't have to help him as much or force it as much. He gets it, and he starts to move on. And that's, that's the beauty <laughs> of backing up and the beauty of deconstructing and then expecting one more little thing beyond that, okay? So sometimes kids are going to move forward when we've backed up enough for it to be um, – that next logical step for them, and we've given them enough practice and enough. Let me give you some other um, examples. Let's say 
that you haven't been able to get very much play going, uh, and you, you're starting to do some deconstruction, and you're thinking, "Gosh, I, I just I wish I could have one more activity that was a little bit more playful or a little bit more active." You know, say it's a kid um, who really needs a lot of movement. Kids like this really, really, really enjoy throwing a ball in a basket. And again, you may think, "Well, that is just the simplest idea." Yeah, that's what works a lot. And so for those kinds of kids, you know, you're thinking, I just want them to do this one action over and over and over. So if you're at a home doing a visit, you're a therapist, and, you know, you're not taking your own toys, you're doing the whole um, consultative model, which is successful, by the way. I don't want you to ever get the idea that we shouldn't be using a family's materials and doing what they like to do and feeding into their routines, we absolutely should. Uh, but for, when, you're, when you don't get to go in and kind of set the agenda, you can still say to a mom, though, hey, let's see how this game would go. Let me teach you some games that you could play with him and that will get him interested in participating with you and that will lead to more complex play, but we've got to kind of start at the beginning. So that's how you explain it to a mom, and then you just say, I need some kind of container. You can get me a laundry basket, or let's just dump out this little toy box that you have, and so it's empty, so it'll be a lot more um, novel for your child. Or you might say, you know, do you have a box, or can we go get a pot from the kitchen? Anything like that. And this, and remember here, our strategy is just complete one action. So you're going to get yourself some, a lot of balls, you know, look under the couch, <laughs> dig out of the toy box, tell mom, let's find some balls so that we can throw in, throw these in. My kids, when they were little, we did this with laundry, with socks. If we were kind of, you know, how you fold socks over and they kind of make a little ball if you, you know, fold them over far enough. But we loved throwing socks. And, you know, that little ball of socks, throwing that, that in the laundry basket. So that can be fun, too. But my point here is you're having the kid complete one action with a toy. He's not having to do 55 different things here. All we want to do is pick up that ball and throw it in the basket. And so can you see how for some children that's going to really, really, really be where you should meet them developmentally? They are not ready for even something that resembles more of a sit-down-and-play kind of game. Or for some kids, like I just gave you the example, you've gotten them doing some of these things with deconstruction, but you want to expand your play routines a little bit. That's a, almost a no-fail activity to go for, throwing a ball in some kind of basket. Um, let's see. Let me make sure in this last minute or two that we've talked about everything that I wanted to share with you in this second show about developing early, figure out what would be the easiest step for a kid to do and then do that first and make sure that you are included in that because you always want to be together with that. You always want to make this as interactive as you can. Now, remember, you may not be talking as much as you think you need to talk. That will come later after the kid has, as I said before, mastered the mechanics of the toy, then you can add your language on. Language on. But just, just kind of think about I'm going to let him do the easiest part. For a lot of kids, we do have to back up to deconstruction, taking, taking it apart. For some kids, we can do deconstruction pretty quickly and then get them on to that next little step, which is complete one action. Uh, let me talk to you real quick, let's, the examples that we had. Let's say that we took the puzzle apart, and he's great at that, and he likes it, and it's been fun. Then when he's in a great mood, and it's going well, and he's happy, and you think, oh, he's right here with me. This is when I try it. Get, pick 
one of those pieces from your little bag that you're holding and say, you know, pick it out and say, drop, or is it cold? Let's put it in. And then you, if he doesn't automatically do it, he's probably not, do what you can to keep his attention. If that's putting his little hand on the piece too or you just, you know, locking your eyes in his and being as enticing as you can without overstimulating him and you putting it in and just say, in, talkies in, look, look, look. Now, naturally, if he's done deconstruction, what's he going to do? He's going to take that puzzle piece out and throw it right back in your bag or your box like you did it wrong. That's okay. That's okay. You may have to do that a time or two or, or 1,500 <laughs> before he's ready to do it, and that's okay. But that's how you kind of move on to the next to that next step. If you've done, um, what were some other examples? Blocks. You've let him knock down the blocks 17 times in a row, and you may stack the next two and then say, oh, where's it go? Where's it go? Get Put it in his little hand and then help him put it on. You're going to help him do that next little piece. So don't forget about that. and Don't forget about how powerful hand-over-hand uh, -hand assistance can be. All right, I am all talked out. We got to the end of the show, and I got to say everything that I wanted to say last week, but I didn't get a chance to do it. I hope that you are going to take these techniques of deconstruction and just do one more action or that next little action. I want to hear about all your steps because I know it's going to make a difference for lots of Thank you so much for talking to you.